Good morning and welcome. If we haven't met, I'm Shay Ryanga. I'm blessed to be one of the pastors here. And it is always a joy to be in worship with you as we continue this sermon series, as you could tell from our bumper video called Double Blessing. And we've spent the first couple weeks talking in general about generosity and trying to define what we mean and what we don't mean by God's blessings in our life. And so as um, that was framed for us the first couple weeks. We're going to move with a little specificity this week to focus a little bit on one aspect of generosity. And before we do that, I, many of you know this, I grew up in more of a rural uh, environment in northern Indiana, had a lot of animals, had a lot of chores that I had to do growing up, taking care of some llamas and some donkeys and goats and dogs and my mom even had an aviary of birds, which ugh, that, I really didn't enjoy take, taking care of the birds. The, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, not, not a fan of birds. Um, as I got a little older, you know, I had to mow the fields as soon as I was deemed old enough, which in my judgment, I wasn't old enough when I, when I was asked to do that and had to learn how to do that. But you know how that goes. The job I hated more than any other job, though, was pulling weeds, the tedious nature and pulling weeds, I just, to this day, I cannot stand to pull weeds. And so I know many of you have grown up and you have to do chores. If you think of your to-do list, maybe even today, your honey-do lists, your lists of home projects that you've got to get done, those things that you have to do, your kids have to go to soccer practice, there's a project that has to get turned in, an assignment that has to be completed. Dentist appointment, you got to get to this I, I, uh, many of us understand that we live out of this attitude of habitude is what I want to say. And I know that's a little cheesy, but it's kind of sticky. So we have an attitude of habitude. And when we live out of that place, when that's our attitude, not only do we rarely do work well, but we often try to find the path of least resistance, to get some of those things done. I'll confess that sometimes if you pick the top of the weed, it looks like you picked the whole thing. There are some roots that stayed in the ground. <laughs> there are some things I overlooked maybe on my to-do list that I didn't, I didn't, I reluctantly just looked away and didn't see. And so when we live out of this place, when that's our attitude in life, not only do we rarely do good work, but we often find the path of least resistance to just get it over with. And, and we don't become the, the most agreeable people to be around when that's our attitude. Um, we can be angry. We can be short and ill-tempered. Um, we're not very enjoyable or present in those moments because we don't want to be where we are. We want our situation and our circumstance to change. And the more we live in that place, the more we live with that kind of attitude, if we're not careful, it can affect our relationship with God and how we see God. A.W. Tozer once said, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so when we discussed week one about how before sin enters into creation and before our attitude interferes with our relationship with God, before brother rises against brother, before all of that, God makes us in his image and his posture towards us is one of blessing. God blesses us. And yet, 
when our attitude is, I have to do this, I have to do that, when that's our attitude that can affect how we see God and we can project then our own posture, our own attitude, our own insecurities, our own inclinations, our own imperfections upon God. God makes us in his image, but we quickly turn that around and make God and project all of our insecurities and perfections and our feelings and our weaknesses onto God. And we start to, to see a very different God than the good creator who made you and I, who loves us very well. That narrow frame of that attitude starts to affect how we even see God. And if it's all about have to and obligation and duty, that's just such a narrow frame. And it can keep us stuck in some really difficult places in our life. And I have to confess, a few years ago, I was in that place. I, I so desperately wanted to live into the will of God. I was, I was so desperately afraid of missing the will of God that I missed the will of God. Like in the wanting to and in that desire because I'd limited so much what God had for me and the options that were available to me, the categories of, of my thinking was either it's this or it's that. It's either true or false. I had limited the options that God had for me. And, and don't misunderstand me. I, I, I believe there are situations and there are times in our life where God wants us to do some specific things, okay? But so often in our attitude and our desire, to please God, we limit the options of the ways in which God is trying to bless us. And we don't see his posture towards us as one of blessing. Am I supposed to marry or date this person or that person? Am I supposed to take this job out of town that's, that's farther away, but it's more money and it seems like a great opportunity? Should I allow my kid to experience this thing. And in answering those questions and answering some of the questions in our life and seeking God's will, I think so often, I know I've been guilty of limiting, limiting God. And in that, we get stuck in these places of guilt and we feel like we've made a mistake and we've disobeyed God when perhaps God has more options available for us. Perhaps God wants you and I to follow his will and be obedient to his will more than we do. And that he's provided so often in our lives more options than we even think are available. So God instead Instead of having this sort of attitude of habitude, we talked about this from the beginning, it's an attitude of gratitude that God wants us to have. And we had that challenge laid out before us week one, and if, you have, if this is your first week throughout this sermon series, it was a gratitude challenge where you've been challenged to write down with specificity and without repeating some of the things that you're grateful for in your life. And attitude of gratitude is really important for us to understand who we're called to be and, and how God wants us to live a generous life. And that if we don't see all of life as a gift and we don't see all of life as a blessing, then we can't be generous in the ways God wants us to be generous. And so generally, we've been talking about generosity and this, this morning, I want us to turn specifically and look at and look at exactly what God has to say about our tithes, our giving, our money. 
And I uh, have the concerns and the questions of my father sort of baked into this. <laughs> as, as we remember, we ended last week's message with this verse from Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness upon you. And we talked last week about for us living a generous life is one of those places that's unplowed ground for many of us. And as we think about the ways in which God is calling us to be generous, it has more to do with a shift in attitude than a shift in circumstance, than a shift in our situation. That so often we just get upset and this have to and this frustration that we have with our circumstance and situation is precisely actually the blessing God has given us to help us change our attitude. And I, I learned that now about those early seasons of my life and the whole chores and the have to. And I, I see that differently now, that that really was a gift that I was given, that I couldn't see before. And just like doing chores as a kid, our attitude towards tithing has to change because I think for some of us, it's a have to. It's out of reluctance or it's out of compulsion if we give at all. And I have my dad's voice in the back of my head this morning because in the church we grew up in, our preacher wasn't an expository preacher. He didn't use a lot of scripture in his sermons. He kind of used a little verse and then to fit a general theme or a general point, except when it came to money. Except when it came to money, then he opened up the Old Testament and went at us. When it came to money, it's like, we're gonna open the Bible and I'm gonna convict you and you're gonna be obedient. And it just, this whole shift, right? And I'm not, obviously, you know me. I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm a big proponent of living and being obedient to the living word of God. But just the hypocrisy and and getting really serious about scripture, it just made it seem like only when it came to money, when, when the preacher had to remind us, yeah, um, he needs to make a living and we've got to turn the lights on and we need heating and air and, and the kids got to do VBC and whatnot, this approach created this, this have to when it came to giving. It became like this, this obligation. It became something that, we were kind of compelled or, to do and, and that just created this kind of reluctance. And so it's, it's with all that that I want to approach and see just a kind of general overview of what scripture has to say about this aspect of generosity. And then I want us to shift finally into what Paul says for us in 2 Corinthians chapter nine towards the end. So I, I want to start in Genesis 4. And there are these two brothers, and these names may be familiar to you. One older brother, the older brother's name was Cain, and the younger brother's name was Abel. And they both seem to have very good professions. God doesn't privilege one job over the other. One um, tends to, to the fields and harvests crops. That's Cain, the older brother. And Abel, the younger brother, tends livestock and raises up livestock. And we see early on in our history, we see very early on this offering that is given to the Lord. And 
it's tough for us to discern motivations. We don't, we don't get introduced to everything about Cain and Abel's life, but, but what they give says a lot about who they are in their heart. And Cain, the older brother, we're told, has this harvest. There's this harvest, and he gives some. He gives some of what his harvest is to God. And Abel, the younger brother, he gives some of the firstborn of his flock in the fat portions, no less. And so we see some principles starting to be at work here that for Abel, there's this priority that he has with his gift. That before anything else, before he even knows the size of his livestock, whether or not he's going to have a big herd or a small herd, he gives first to God, not knowing what will come after. So there's this priority that's given to God. There's this way in which Abel is trusting God with his future in a way that Cain isn't, in a way Cain maybe is storing up for himself like this rich fool Jesus talks to us about in the Gospels who gets this abundance of this harvest that's amazing and his response in this harvest isn't to share his abundance, but it's to store up and to create bigger and bigger barns for himself. But one thing he can't do with all of that produce and all of that income is buy time. And as much as some of us wish we could buy time for all, for so many reasons, we cannot buy time time. And God comes to him and says, your days are numbered, your life is over. And what is this all for? What a waste. And it seems like Cain, that his heart is maybe in a similar place. And if we fast forward just a few chapters later in Genesis 14, there's this mysterious figure that shows up before Abram becomes Abraham. <laughs> Before Abram becomes Abraham, there's this mysterious figure. He's called the king of Salem. He's called Melchizedek. His name means king of righteousness or king of peace. And he brings bread and wine. And he blesses Abram. Sounds kind of familiar. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 7 will see this mysterious figure as a prefigurement of Christ. He isn't from the line of the Levitical priests. He's a line outside of the line of Aaron. He's called a priest of God most high. And he comes and he blesses Abram and Abram's response is to give him a tenth of everything he's got. It's the first time we see this, this proportion of a tenth, 10%. So tithe, literally, often we use the language of tithe just to, as a general definition for giving. But Tithe literally means a tenth. So we see Abraham do this, give this, this amount. But notice it's not, it's not out of obligation. It's not out of have to. It's in response to this blessing that he receives. And even in the law, when we fast forward to Deuteronomy chapter 14, we see in the law now as an act of worship to give a, a tenth, 10% to the Lord. But even in Deuteronomy 14, if you read Deuteronomy 14, you're, you're to set aside a tenth for the Lord, to come to the place of worship, and then to share, not in 
inwardly, Israel isn't to, to remain inward, but they have to always be attentive to the needs of the priests who do not have an allotment, who do not have an inheritance of their own. They're to attend to the needs of the orphans and the widows and the foreigners in their midst. And as the tabernacle moves, as the place of worship moves, it says, you know, you might need to sell your tenth to get silver so you can actually go and travel the distance to the place of worship. And when you get there, you can buy then the things that you need to celebrate as an act of worship to God. So we see Scripture really speaks in one voice when it comes to giving, even transitioning into the New Testament. And I know many of you know, Jesus gets interrupted all the time and Jesus ends up speaking about greed and money more than any particular issue, probably because it's the thing we're most reluctant to give up. That in our conversion to the Lord, we want to compartmentalize our faith and still tell God there's some parts of our lives that are off limits. We said all, but ah, we, didn't, we didn't really mean all. Martin Luther says at one point, Catholic priest who becomes one of the major reformers, that there is a conversion, there's three conversions that we need, a conversion of the heart, a conversion of the mind, and a conversion of the purse, P-U-R-S-E. That he spoke, he spoke that strongly about, about our need and our understanding and our awareness because we're so often reluctant to let God have any part of all of the abundance that we have. Last year, we talked about John Wesley's sermon on money. And John Wesley famously said, gain all that you can, save all that you can, and give all that you can. And he spent most of his time in that sermon talking about the third point because it's, it's the thing we, we want to hold back from God. As we move in to what Paul shares for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 19, we see Paul echoing this theme that, that to be generous in this way, to give God out of, out of our income, out of our resources is an act of worship. It's not out of have to and obligation and duty. It's only because of God's power and generosity in our life that we're able to do it. It's a matter of the heart. And so holding back and having this other kind of attitude says more about our heart. And perhaps that's step one for some of us. Paul will go on to say this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses beginning in verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So God isn't here to guilt you into giving, and neither am I. It's, it's not out of compulsion. It's not out of the sense that we have to. God wants us to give freely, because it is an expression of our trust and the genuine transformation of his work in our lives. That it's evidence 
of the transforming power of his grace. Paul will go on to say, not only, not only is God able to change our heart, but God's able to do so much more than that. He says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and of your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. And in their prayers... For you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace of God that has been given to you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Man, that God doesn't bless us just for us. He, he blesses us, and I love what Paul says here, he Stocks are storehouses full of extra blessing and extra grace so that on every occasion we can be generous. And that it's not just for us and it doesn't even just bless God's people. It doesn't just bless this, this sanctuary of men and women, but it's meant in indescribable ways and in ways that we can't count it's meant to be expressed in so many ways of thanksgiving for other people. And that part of the evidence of that at work in our lives, it's happened to me this week, is that God will see our generosity and others will see our generosity. And, and in response to that, others will be moved to pray for us, to provide for us in all kinds of ways that cannot be reduced to health, wealth, money, prosperity, but that there is this presence that happens that we're made more aware tangibly of God's reality and his work in our life when we're generous. And one of the things I think it's so important for us to grasp in what Paul is saying here is that there are few things in our life that we can do that tangibly express our trust in God for our future and giving to God, giving to God first, giving to God out of the abundance that we've been given is a tangible expression that we in fact trust God with our future. 
And so one question I have is if we hold back, if you refuse to give, are you really trusting God at all? Have we allowed our possessions to possess us? Have we allowed our master to be the kingdom of this world? Mammon, worldly goods, worldly power. Jesus says we can't. As much as we try, we cannot serve two masters. It is impossible. God who defines for us grace, defines truth, who defines love for us. He is the definition of all those things he says to us. You cannot do both. You cannot serve both. Our, our attempts to compartmentalize our faith and say, yes, Lord, I trust you here, but when it comes to my resources and my money, I'm gonna hold back. Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. Another question I wanna lay before us is does God deserve our best? Yes and amen. And yet for us, some of the challenge we allow to creep into our life and some of the temptation that creeps in that, that, that keeps us from giving to God as well, there's just too much debt in my life or, or there's too much chaos, there's too much trouble. I'm managing too much and I can't yet. Maybe, maybe when I shore up these things, there will come a day when I can finally give to the Lord. And I'm here to tell you that that's a lie. That day will never come if that's your disposition, if that's your attitude. That day will never arrive. It will not come. It will not come. And that's only giving God our leftovers anyway, if that day does come. That's saying to God, you know, someday when I'm kind of used up all my energy, and all my creative capacity, and all my ability, and all the strength that you've given me, someday I'll give. And so another question for us is, with what we are giving, are we giving God first? Are we giving God our best? Are we giving God our leftovers? And so I wanna end with this challenge as we see throughout scripture that the Lord's teaching on generosity isn't a have to, it isn't an obligation, it isn't, it isn't a duty. <laughs> it's an act of worship. It's an expression of where our heart belongs, whether we have a heart of stone or a heart of flesh. So I just want to invite you to do this exercise. And Pastor David is has been doing the same thing this morning. Just identify what a tenth is. Like practically do that. Just I want you to just simply evaluate your life and what is a tenth? And are you right now, do you just need to start a plan towards that number? For many of you, it's a plan and maybe a step of an, of an increased trust and an increase in your dependence upon God and it exceeds that number. But I just want you to evaluate your life and lay that before God and ask him where you're supposed to be. Where is he calling you to? To give cheerfully 
so that this isn't out of compulsion. This isn't out of a have to. It isn't reluctance, but it's, it's God, I wanna give. And I, I confess I don't know how to do that right now, maybe. Don't know where to begin. And so it's developing a plan because I promise you if you do that, you will receive the grace and the beauty and the blessing of God's word that you will be blessed double, triple, quadruple the amount that you give in so many ways. So I want to invite you to do that. And I want to lift up for you Again, thinking about our gratitude challenge, there are so many families, there's so much happening in the life of this church that I am so incredibly grateful for. It's important for us to continue to see each other's story and to share each other's story, to see, to see the ways in which God is doing far beyond what we could have asked or imagined things with what we give. And one small expression of that is the story of the Gonzalez family. So let's, let's look at that. And as we're watching this video, I want to invite the worship team forward. Let's watch this. No two children are the same. The same thing goes for a child on the autism spectrum. It doesn't mean my son is uh, not going to succeed. He's just different. We had Christian in January of 2014, and then we had Ryan in February of 2017. When we had Christian, um, we had a little bit of struggles in the beginning. Friends that we'd noticed their kids were taking a longer time to speak. Christian was still very far behind. Normally by like 18 months, a child has like 15, 20 words. The only word that Christian had that he used repeatedly was Dada. And then you get to three and it's, okay, he should be out of some of these things that he does and he sh yeah he should have outgrown it his teacher had posted a video and everybody's doing um london bridge is falling yeah. down yeah. and christian is in the center and the group is holding hands going around him and he is holding his ears yeah. and you can tell that it's it's overwhelming to him yeah. we go in for a visit and we show her the video and that's when she says you know why don't we go ahead and get him tested and you think, oh, my child is perfect and there's nothing wrong with him and he's um, so smart and it was disbelief. I was like, there's no way that Christian has this. Later, doing research and reading and everything else, I was like, oh, okay, he might be on the autism yeah. spectrum, like, yeah. let's be prepared. We knew that when we, when things settled down at the house, that we would eventually get to a point to find a home church. We, we made the agreement early on that if we walked in the door, if he didn't want to be there, we would turn around and leave. We visited a few churches and they weren't very accommodating to him. I found the Bible study here at the church where we connect and we have fellowship. We are studying the Word of God, but we are also, you know, talking about some of the day-to-day -day troubles that we go through with our special needs children. So I brought the kids, I came by myself. They have this intake form that you have to fill out, literally probably six to eight pages. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, this is a lot. You're like, my son is high maintenance. Yes. <laughs> we don't have to always be the advocate uh, for him and his good day. There are so many staff members here that do a wide variety of what I have to imagine is extra love uh, that they do to make our kids feel comfortable here. 
he, Christian, just really connected with them and went in right away and wanted to play. It wasn't something I was used to, and I was fully prepared to get my kids, jump back in the car, yeah. and go home if it doesn't work. But it worked. Christian loved it, and he, he really loved it. They remember what Christian likes, what he doesn't like. They've put a lot of thought into the day before Christian even got there. I mean, we've seen him grow a lot. He loves church. It's his, it's his second home. We're at the church at least two evenings a week. Um, you know, the church does so much for us with like respite and their vacation Bible camp for special needs that I know that there's going to be programs that Christian might go to in the future. Like, you know, he might go tonight to Shine Prom or things like that in his future. So, you know, I want to volunteer for as many special needs things as I can because I feel like it's my way of kind of paying it forward for when it's Christian's turn. Mm -hmm. I think it was we went to the training class for Night to Shine Prom mm -hmm. and that's whenever um, we found out about Hands of Christ. We assist with light home repairs for members of the church who are either you know financially or physically incapable of doing it themselves. I'm always closer to God when I'm serving others and so ever since we came here you know, it's really changed my life as far as I, I, I'm very more public about, you know, being a child of Christ than I ever was prior. And I mean, every time I say I'm a child of Christ, that gives me goosebumps just to be able to say it. The church mission statement is mentioned every day, every service, you know, really wants you to uh, play a part and you know, the overall growth and success of the church. This church can accommodate any situation that you're in, including even having a special needs child.